Welcome to season two of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, we chat with athletes, coaches, and industry professionals at all levels of sport about the benefits that being involved in sport has provided them outside of just the performance side of things. I'm your host, Fiona. I've always wanted to delve deeper into the physical, social, and mental benefits being involved in sport has provided people. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you like this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. Let's get into today's episode. Today we are joined by another close-to-home guest, Nathan Bushkull, ex-professional triathlete who also happens to be my brother-in-law. Nath takes us on the journey of what it took to get some of his best results, including second at the Malulaba Continental Cup in 2014, finishing just after Jake Birdwhistle. Nath shares with us what it was like when he was stepping away from the professional arena but still had high expectations for himself. We also get an insight as to the benefits being involved in sport had on his relationship with his partner, Olympic long jumper, Rook. If you'd like to hear about her journey, she appeared on the podcast in Season 1, Episode 6. You'll also hear Nath mention his coach, Steve Foster, who was actually a guest in Season 1, Episode 4, as well as his brother, Todd, who was a guest in Season 1, Episode 10. We also hear an insight of how COVID-19 may affect the athletes, friends and families in terms of the Tokyo Olympics. Before we get into today's episode, a special shout out to our friends at Beast Mode Cafe. All natural ingredients, free from any nasties. Boost your workout with barista quality coffee or refuel with yummy acai bowls, smoothies and delicious raw vegan treats. Let's jump on in into today's chat with Nathan. Welcome, Nathan. How are you today? Good. Thank you, Faye. Yourself? I am well. We're... um. We're doing a over the computer recording today because the rain is very terrible. <laughs> yeah, I hope you can't hear any of that rain in the background, but I think we should be okay. Yeah, yeah, we should be fine. Now, you are a triathlete, an ex-pro triathlete. Yep. Did you participate in any other sports while you were like younger or have you always been into triathlon? It's a good question. Mainly triathlon, I guess. I was always pretty grounded in triathlon from quite a young age. Grew up and like a lot of kids, I did the Wheat Dix try when I was probably a little whippersnapper at 10 running around your mosquitoes. I remember I was on my huffy. There's quite a good photo of me on this small little single speed BMX bike riding between two big girls on road bikes. So look, I always enjoyed triathlon from a young age. But in saying that, I did start off in little athletics I didn't really have any talent, to be honest. I was a shocking distance runner, but I just found that I just enjoyed the distance running for some reason more than sprinting because I think I've been born pretty unlucky in the sprinting department. I always say to my my partner, Brooke, I've got one fast twitch fiber in my body. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, look, I dabbled in the athletics when I was young, as most kids do up until under 15s. Prior to that, I played a bit of tennis with some schoolmates that I've still kept 
in contact with. Again, I thought I was pretty handy at tennis, but it's not till now um, I realized my ego was a lot bigger than my potential. <laughs> so uh, I played, I think I played Division 15, funnily enough. I don't even know if that's still a thing at Langmore and Tennis Club, but um, it was the second last division and I captained that team back then. So I think that was around year five, year six, so probably 10 or 11. Apart from tennis, did swimming lessons. Obviously, swimming is important, being young, as you know, basic survival skills. So, like, I never really, never really got into triathlon until properly until my mid-teens um, when my old man was involved in triathlon at um, a reasonably competitive level and some of the longer distances. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I grew up, like, when I was really young, prior to 10, riding motorbikes. So, again, following Dad's footsteps out at Rosebud Motocross club um just riding a little bit of motocross and they used to call it hair and scramble i think for the juniors which is basically an event where you just out in a big field and you pretty much just go and ride a few laps of this massive track i think with a time limit on a motorbike um, i was pretty lucky actually because dad's got a really good background in mechanics and just looking after cars and bikes and things so i'm pretty sure he he fine-tuned my motorbike so it was twice as quick as everyone else because a couple of races, I, I remember lapping the field yeah. Oh, that's funny. And from memory of dinner conversations, you had a little bit more talent than Toddy, didn't you, in the in the motorbike department? Yeah. I don't think Toddy um, was quite as, maybe, maybe as brave as me. I'm not too sure how to put it, but um, look, Toddy, Toddy didn't quite have the luxury of riding the bike that I had. It was mm-hmm. just a two-stroke um, little powerhouse. I think he got stuck on the Peewee 50. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But look, you certainly had to be brave on the motorbikes. And I remember when I got a bit older and the racing got a bit more competitive, I, um, I tend to shy away from a little bit after having a couple of falls. Nothing, nothing serious, but um, yeah, it's obviously if you fall on a motorbike at pretty high speed, you can do some serious damage. And I just didn't quite have that competitive skill set to step up from junior motorbike riding in some of the senior levels. Yeah, that's, that's fair and very understandable. So what, was it about triathlon that drew you to it? Was it just the fact that your dad was doing it or were people at school doing it? Not so much at school. I was always that really sporty kid in the PE class that had to always win the warm up and, um, you know, be really competitive on the beat test. But yeah, definitely helped with dad. I think having the family tie in with dad and Toddy at home was, was really nice for you some training with them. I guess triathlon sort of found me in a way because I like to think of myself as bit of a perfectionist like every time I do something I want to try and do it well and and do it right and give it a good shot and triathlon's a sport that you do have to put a lot of time into it to to really get it right as you know with swimming it's just so technical and you got to invest a lot of time especially if like I didn't have any real talent so I was always quite keen to work hard and just give it a good crack and triathlon has those three disciplines there swim bike and run so um yeah, I think I'm, I'm glad I stuck at it and gave it a good crack for probably 10 years or so. Um, and just, yeah, going back to that perfectionist trait, it's a sport where I think it requires a little bit of that just because of the involvement and the commitment mm-hmm. of so many hours of training across three different disciplines. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like we've known each other, or oh, I'm going to say like friends for 10 years I think. And we knew each other from the swimming world and because you were doing triathlon, I was competitive swimmer. 
is there like a discipline you liked more than the other? Like were you drawn to swimming or were you drawn to the cycling or the running? Yeah, absolutely. The running. And that's the reason why today I'm still running over the other two disciplines. Running, I find it, it's, it's so nice. It's very rewarding as well. And it's, it's really convenient because you can run from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need a pool or you don't need a bike. So I find it's not that I don't like the other disciplines. I just find that running came a little bit more naturally to me. I was always on the leaner side. I didn't have much muscle. So I found that I was able to give the running a bit more of a crack compared to the swim and bike. And yeah, I think over the journey of that 10 years in triathlon, the running certainly came a bit more naturally. I was, if I was to rate myself across the three disciplines, running was definitely my strength. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you there, Nath, after watching you race for a few years. Is there a specific moment that you knew triathlon was for you or was it, you know, just like, oh, I'm doing age group and now I want to go pro or how, how did that come about? I think I always go back to saying around 18, 19, I think I turned pro in 2012 at the Noosa Tri. And I always looked up to some of the the triathletes back then who were obviously representing Australia at the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics. And I was super keen um, for that to be me, which it wasn't. But I think you've always got to have idols and people to aspire to and look up to. So I guess I guess that helped in terms of shaping that decision around why triathlon was for me. The, I, I think the, the perfectionist hmm. um, background that I, I tend to display as a personal characteristic as well, just I always wanted to, to strive to get the most out of myself. And I started off raising age group and just, just started to enjoy it. And then I found that I didn't really have a lot of talent but with hard work. Um, I was able to get a little bit further in the sport and sort of win some, some of the age group racing. At, um, back then it was the Gatorade Triathlon Series. So I think once I started, decided to win, uh, I started to win, sorry, some of those events, I sort of thought what's next and it's obviously elite and professional racing and I was luckily enough to get um, selected into the Triathlon Victoria Junior Development Pathway, I think when I was 14 and obviously that was very high performance based and, and that kind of changed my mindset around some of the avenues that are out there for triathletes um, because obviously that that leads into some of the senior team selections after you get out of the junior years so yeah um, being around some of the best juniors in in Victoria and Australia really helped as well with that transition from age group to professional and then I was able to just find a good swimming club so I made the decision around 18 to join a national level swimming club and I was also running with one of the best running groups still today in um Victoria or potentially even Australia as well so that really helped as a triathlete to be able to go to training with national level swimmers and go to running with national level runners and just try and sit on the back and um, I guess get taken for a ride um, (laughs) so to speak but yeah it just really helped make me become better because of the level of athletes I surrounded myself with. Yeah and you say like I don't know about the runners but you say the swimmers and three of them were on the Australian team that you were swimming with. So you were up there with, you know, one of the top swimming squads at the time in Victoria, which is incredible that you're able to train with them. Yeah, I was very lucky to be taken under the wing of um, Coach Ben, the Tiger Sharks back then, quite hardcore. And um, he never really took um, any of your excuses on board. So you just had to rock up and pretty much do the session on the board, meet certain times and, 
I think that mentality just really shaped, I guess, like a lot of what I am today in terms of the discipline and the resilience I have. Because even when you were tired, you still had to rock up and get through six or seven K in the pool five days a week. And Ben was standing there at the, at the end of the pool, but just, you know, timing every rep, making sure my technique was um, to a reasonable standard. And then I was just making sure I didn't get lapped by the, the 12 year old girls that were um, next to me. Cause I tell you, some of the swimmers, they retire young, but they're also incredibly talented from such a young age as well. So that was a good wake up call. And it really made me like a better swimmer in a short amount of time. Yeah. And a great opportunity as well. Was there other than like joining a swimming squad and a running, is it a running squad? Yeah. Was there any significant milestones like wins, losses or injuries along the way? Yeah, definitely. So significant milestones came, I guess, came from the running and swimming squad. So my swimming was always well below par. My running was reasonably good. But my swimming, when I used to race short course professional triathlon, it was draft league on the bike. So it was really important that in the swim, you surrounded yourself with the front pack of swimmers because if you're riding on your own, it's extremely difficult to ride at the same intensity as what a pack. Mm -hmm. The riders ride at just because of the advantages of drafting there. Yeah, I think in terms of significant milestones for me, it really came after probably three or four years of swimming in that national level squad when I was able to make my first front pack swim at the Malula by Continental Cup in 2014. And I remember just sitting in the pack with um, some of Australia's Olympic triathletes now and, and, and back then and just thinking, wow, how cool is this? Um, I'm in a great opportunity there, opportunity here to do well because I knew that um, my running had been going really well as well after spending, I think, about a month up at Falls Creek training with Australia's distance running crew. So in that race, I got off the bike in the front group and I was able to run with Jake Bertwistle for about 9K. And for those that don't know, Jake Bertwistle, um, I think back in 2019, finished the year, ranked second triathlete in the world. So he's, he's extremely good now. And But yeah, that was an, a really massive break, breakthrough for me to finish second in the Continental Cup um, when many years prior, I was probably coming 30 or 40th in the same style of racing just due to having a very poor swim so I guess some of those wins were extremely rewarding just from the hard work that went in in the training the years prior other milestones possibly Ballarat half Ironman so after a few years in the short course game I transitioned to long course triathlon so I gave half Ironman a go and I did find that challenging as well like my swim and my run were definitely there but all of a sudden I found that my bike was um, really lacking. So I was lucky in a way to, to have my brother Todd, who was, I guess, a semi-pro cyclist. Um, <laughs> he, was, he was quite talented on the bike and we were able to get some really good long rides in and, and good quality sessions. Um, I was just sucking his wheel for 100, 100 a day with a lot of hard efforts in there. And, yeah, and it, it certainly helped my bike. It didn't um, never made me as good as I wanted to be on the bike, but... My first half Ironman, um, I did, uh, I finished in four hours and one minute. And I guess they have like an elusive sort of four hour wow. um, area, I guess, for that a lot of half Ironman want to get up to, want to get under. A lot of athletes now go 3.30 to 3.40 on quicker courses. But um, look, I was quite pleased to finish 10th in that race. Um, and I wasn't too far behind the leaders either. So 
that was probably another milestone being my first half Ironman. You mentioned injuries, didn't you? Yeah, significant injuries or some little niggles that turned into something bigger. Yeah, I was always, I was always um, quite lucky. I, I never found myself to be a super injury-prone athlete, um, and I don't know why that was. I think I just, I had, I had good guidance, whether that was from Ben in swimming um, or Nikki Frey, Timo Shanassi, some of the running coaches they had, and, and more recently Steve Foster um, in triathlon. He's, um, he's also been in this podcast before. <laughs> shout um, out, Steve. Shout out, Steve. He shares some really valuable insights into some of his experience. And I think that's that's why I never had a significant injury. Um, in, I believe it was 2018 or 2017, I had pericarditis. Mm-hmm. And I don't quite know how that occurred, but I think it was just a result of a lot of stress um, and maybe maybe lack of recovery as well in some of my training. And pericarditis is where you get inflammation around the, the pericardium, which is the outer layer, the supportive layer of the heart. But thankfully that wasn't too serious. It was just a dosage of anti-inflammatories and some rest. And I was able to get on top of that one reasonably quickly after a few months of just not doing much at all. Yeah, I remember that. Now, were you, were you finishing off your master's when that happened? Yeah, I was, I was first year masters. Mm. Um, and I think the workload stepping up from an undergrad, trying to compete in triathlon at a professional level in half Ironman, which involves a lot of training. And then again, a masters in exercise physiology, being a first year as well, trying to really take all the information on because it's all new when you start it out. I think, um, yeah, just, just that level of stress and maybe height, heightened anxiety brought that on potentially. Mm-hmm. But then again, yeah, it's hard to know exactly why. Yeah, well, we're not doctors here. We don't, we don't know exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you haven't mentioned that you went over to Europe to race. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we sort of skimmed over some of the triathlon bits. So when I turned pro in 2012, I raced Maluba, obviously, and then the following year, 2013, sorry, it was Noosa Tri first, and then I did Maluba in 2013, um, as well as a bunch of other interstate continental cup racing. Again, struggled with my swim, but then in 2014, after improving my swim, I had a good result finishing second there. And Danielle Stefano, who was looking after the VIS triathlon program, I got in touch with her because I was obviously keen to see what Europe's all about. A lot of athletes base themselves there and triathlon in Europe is just so much bigger. They pretty much race all year round due to weather over there. They have a really good summer, long summer. And there's a lot of opportunities there for, for racing as well at a senior professional level. So um, I was really lucky to, to spend a bit of time with her and her squad training with the, the VIS group at the time over in Spain. And the year prior, I also got in touch with a French triathlon team Versailles triathlon and I had a really good time. I spent, I spent three months in France, which was an amazing experience. Just, just living with a French family there. Um, and I was obviously very lucky to have, have good support from them cooking all my meals and um, taking me to training every day. And I remember some of the experiences there were really unique in France. Um, I remember swimming sessions 
where the whole session on the board was just in French and I had no idea what we were doing. So I had to actually in my lane um, what was really required of me. So it was, it was a really good learning experience and I learned a little bit of French. So I was able to have somewhat conversations with, with the group of guys that I was um, training with, with with the Versailles Triathlon and raced the French Grand, Grand Prix as well. I did well in Division 3, so obviously a bit of a lower standard, but I, I won my first race there. And then I was invited to race with the Division 1 team. That was an awesome opportunity because I'd never lined up against the likes of the Brownlee brothers and Javier Gomez at the time, who today are um, still rocking the triathlon world, mm. so to speak. So, um, that was an amazing opportunity being able to race a Division 1 French Grand Prix race in, in Ombrun, which is up the French Alps. I think I came about 40th, so I got I got flogged. But um, when you're racing those guys, I guess you can't really expect anything anything more. And just that would just to be able to get, get out there and, and give it my best at the time was, you know, a huge opportunity that allowed me to not only grow as an athlete but grow as a person over the next few years. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that you've worked it well with our next question is what are the benefits sport has provided you as an individual that's transferred over to other avenues of your life? I think, yeah, definitely growing as an individual. Um, in, in my triathlon, I constantly had to step outside my comfort zone. And there's a good quote out there that I, that I like and I still refer to today, which is get, get comfortable being uncomfortable. May have heard that one before. But I think... Um, I think the proof's in the pudding there. Like the more you do something that makes you uncomfortable, the more that your sensitivity improves to doing whatever it is that you do. So with triathlon, waking up at 4.45, five days a week to swim with a national level swim squad certainly made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> but after a few years, it was basically just, this is what it takes kind of mentality. It wasn't really so much a chore. It was more... It was more of a pleasure mm-hmm. in a way because I really started to see the reward and the benefits of putting in the hard work. And still to this day, triathlons taught me a lot about the characteristics of resilience and discipline and just not being afraid to, to give things a crack. Yeah, resilience is, is probably probably the biggest one because even when you're tired or you know things aren't quite going your way, you've still got to get up the next day and, and, and put in a good few hours of training in triathlons. So Doing that over time, over so many years, I think has helped shape a lot of my experiences today in both work and life. Yeah, yeah, I like that, Nate. <laughs> and Thanks, so that's like some of the benefits. I know you're a bit like me and you get a bit nervous before you race. You said before about the exposure to being uncomfortable helps with getting comfortable doing it. Did you find that like the more you raced, the less you got nervous before races or how'd that go? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, and I probably haven't realized this until more so with my studies as an exercise physiologist now, but when I look back on my career in the early days, I was super nervous to race, but after probably three, four, five years of good hard work, I also had a lot of confidence to race. So in 2014, 2015 and probably even 2016 I remember getting to the races feeling confident and actually excited because I had done the work I had seen myself hitting personal best hitting good times in training and I was really excited to get out there but then more so in recent years 
when I started making that transition slightly away from triathlon, but I still, I still tried to maintain that same level of competition. Mm -hmm. I found that I was getting extremely anxious. And I think that's just because maybe, maybe, maybe my ego was still there that I wanted to be, wanted to be the best or be super competitive at the time. Um, but I hadn't done the work. I found that my environment certainly was a huge factor in terms of whether I felt confident or anxious for a competition. And some of the racing I did um, before I stepped away from triathlon around 2018, 2019, I remember feeling so anxious to the point where I basically couldn't even race. Like the race was over before I even got on the start line because I just hadn't been training at the same level. And I knew that the guys around me had, because they obviously, some of them back then were still making a career out of it. And um, I think I just let, I let that, that mental side of the sport get a little bit, get, get the better of me a little bit. In 2019, I think that was my last year um, doing triathlon because I haven't done it for a couple of years, but I stepped away from elite racing and I did still get nervous, but I found that I was able to enjoy it a little bit more without the pressure to hit certain times or, or meet certain standards. Yeah. So I think just the message there is just the environment really shaped me at the time. And yeah, pro- probably a good learning factor that I'll still take on board today is just not to take it too serious because if you're not obviously doing it as a career, it doesn't really matter too much, you know, like how well you go in your sessions or which I'm still battling with a little bit. I think so. I'm a little bit of a, a little bit egotistical in that, in that regard, knowing, knowing where I have been, I've still struggled to step away a little bit for some of my running sessions, but I think with time it, it'll, it'll make that transition easier and yeah, just able to enjoy it a little bit more, but look, I'm certainly getting there. It's a yeah. working program. Yeah. And like, I'm the same when I jump in the pool and I, I don't know, do a 50 meter freestyle or something. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's five seconds slower than what I could have averaged out of 20 of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think, you know, anyone who was competitive at any sport would probably compare to their past performances and go, oh, well, that's not very great for me. Like, it's okay, but it wasn't my best. And, yeah, I think letting that go is definitely a a hard thing to do. Yeah. That's so true, Fee. And I think, um, as you said there, like you're hitting 2050s at a certain time back back in your day and trying to do one now, mm. um, it's, it's really hard for us to show, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're not putting the work in, then you can't expect the results that you used to get. Absolutely. But look, I think if you care, which which we obviously still do because we, we, we jump in the pool or we go to a track and we still have in mind where we used to have been, it... Um, it's just hard to block that that mental side of it out a little bit when you know where you've been in the past. But look, at the end of the day, sport's something that I'm still super passionate about and I think I'll I'll be involved in for the rest of my life because the benefits are so rewarding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And is there, there's lots of lessons that you've obviously learned through sport, but is there one that you'd like to share? Definitely just... Just enjoy what you do is probably is probably the biggest one. Have a clear path, enjoy what you do, surround yourself with the right people. And I think you can really get the most out of your sport, whether that's at a elite level, semi-elite level, or just age group. 
you know, non-competitive level. Like with sport, it doesn't matter too much um, what level you're at. As long as you enjoy it, you're happy. The health benefits of sport are huge. So, yeah. And at the same time, look, if you do want to take it a little bit further, just don't be afraid to reach out to the right people and, um, and give it a really good crack. Yeah. Oh, I like that lesson, Nathan. I guess that's the whole reason why I started this podcast because the benefits that you like elite or professional athletes are having are the same benefits as everyday people who didn't compete at an elite level. And it's something we can all benefit from. Absolutely. So that's so true. Yeah. And you said just before that you surround yourself with the right people. Obviously, Brookie was episode six. So that is your beautiful fiance. And she is a Olympian, an elite long jumper. How do you find like balancing that when you were both professional athletes? I think for us, it came, it came reasonably naturally because we shared a lot of common interest. I remember days when back in the early part of our relationship in 2014, 2015, and even 2016, when Brooke jumped her Australian record, she um, she she was actually coming to some of my running sessions with me and, and doing the warm-up with me and coming to the pool and, and just jumping in for some recovery sessions. So, look, it, it was a really nice relationship and we still share a lot of that today. Like, I pretty much go to two, three of her sessions during the week when I can get there around work and like whether I'm carrying her bags around the world, which I'm not going to complain about because. I'm very lucky to do or, or just filming her, you know, trying to give her some technical feedback and not taking taking anything from her coach at all, but just trying to help out where I can. I love it and I certainly wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Oh, so we can thank you for those um, Instagram posts of Brookie doing the jumps, the slow-mos. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much my role. So um, got to make sure I nail those slow-mos, otherwise, otherwise she won't have that content. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's good to know who's behind those. I always wonder who films those because they're good. Yeah. Like a lot of the time it's me. Um, when I'm not there, it's her dad. Her dad's obviously a coach, so he'll do the recording as well. But, yeah, look, she, she's she got a very impressive jump of 7.05 metres, Australian women's record, and, and looking at some of her training on slow-mo is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. She flies through the air. Absolutely. And for someone who has sport so seriously in their lives, like you both did throughout some of those time periods, was it easier to, you know, support each other through those hard moments? Or did you find that you were able to relate a little bit more and support a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. I think having having the passion um, at a similar level helps a lot. So Brooke's obviously extremely motivated, um, never wants to miss a session, even if it's 10 o'clock at night and she hasn't done a core workout, she'll be out in the gym doing that core workout because she knows that when she gets to Tokyo this year, the little 1% is what all adds up. And, and I, had, I had a similar mentality. I was never, never at that level, but um, I was very much about doing exactly what's on my program every day. Um, if I felt off or I was unwell or I had to shift things a little bit, I was more than happy to do that. But yeah, having um, having the common interest in in sport at a high level, it actually I feel like it, it made things a lot easier for us because we were able to just bounce ideas back and forth and really shape our, our lives around that at the time. Yeah, yeah, and I know 
Toddy and I definitely aren't at the same level of sport, but I guess similar to you and Brookie, like he was one step ahead of me and having that common interest and common knowledge and knowing what it takes to do the work and how you feel in the competitions phase and things like that, that understanding does help a lot. Yeah, definitely. Because it's important because sometimes whether it's with Toddy yourself or, you know, you might need a little bit of space if you're tired or you want to have a nap or, you know, you've got some competitions coming up. You've, every athlete has has their go-tos in terms of how they prep. And I think it's, it's really helped me understand Rookie well, and I'm sure she understands me just as well as well. So I think athletes are able to really draw from that bond that they get out of their sport together and um, really embrace it, you know, not just in sport, but even in life as well. So when you were talking about lessons earlier about what sport teaches you, I think it teaches you a lot about how to manage relationships and, you know, sort of ride the highs, ride the lows together, be resilient when the times get tough and just just really try and embrace the good moments for what they are. Yeah. yeah, they make all the hard time, all the hard times, you know, more worthwhile in the end. Yeah, that's it. That's that's a good one. And Nath, I've known you for a while, so I know some of these, but have you been involved in a project where sport has been used as a tool to develop the community? Yes, there's a few that come to mind. So in some of the work I did at the YMCA um, as a PT, there were a couple of programs there that I jumped on board with. One of them was getting the men's shed um, program at Acuna Park in Berwick up and running. There was a few of us PTs at the time there a few years ago that we went down and I think there was around 30, 30 guys, um, older males in that men's shed program and we were just responsible for overseeing their involvement in exercise. We did some initial exercise testing to get an idea of where they were at and then obviously tailored some sessions appropriate for them and then did some follow-up testing. So that was a really good initiative just to see um, a bunch of 60 plus, 65, 70 year old men all get together um, on a Friday um, at what was called the Men's Shed. And they have heaps of them around um, Australia. It's a national wide program. So I really did enjoy that one, just running a 45 minutes to one hour exercise session with them once a week. And the YMCA actually brought a few opportunities because they're a really good not for profit community run organization, um, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> with your experience there and I helped out as well at um, a retirement home in Casey so that again that was very similar to the men's shed but it wasn't just solely for men it was men and women that have retired um, just looking to do a little bit of exercise to improve their quality of life and their activities and daily living so I went there with my bluetooth speaker um, and just played some tunes once a week and went through a bit of a circuit or mainly just body weight functional movements around a room and just had a bit of fun with, with, it, with that group there at the retirement home in Casey. More recently in my work as an EP, um, I was given the role of managing what's called the Sustainable Health Index. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's an online platform where workers can log in and complete questions about five key pillars of their health, which is movement, quality, nutrition, stress management, disease, and fitness. And then based on that and their answers to some of the questions for each of those key pillars, we can just look at some ways to intervene with their health. 
And then on, on a more community level, we're able to have some really good discussions with some of the sites that I was overseeing this program at at the time. So the site that I work at in Dandenong, we're able to sit down with some of the workers and supervisors and work through some strategies to improve the movement quality on site. If the workers were, were, were moving poorly in certain ways, um, other sites in Perth and Sydney, some of the other programs that are running it, they had quite poor fitness and nutrition outcomes from, from this index. So just looking at, at ways to improve nutrition um, or fitness there in line with like the national physical activity guidelines, for example. So yeah, it was really, really rewarding being able to implement some initiatives to a larger pool of workers um, at Australia Post. Yeah, that's awesome, Nathan. Like between that and the stuff you're doing with the YMCA, you're able to share some of the lessons and skills and experience that you've had in sport with these community groups and help benefit their lives as well. Yeah, thanks, V. Yeah, oh, it's very, it's very nice. Now, Nate, this is the one of the hardest questions to answer, I think, but it's a good, good and interesting one, especially in you know 2020, 2021, the the years of COVID-19, but where do you see the future of sport? That is a tricky one. I think if we look at COVID-19, it's really changed a lot about about sport, hasn't it? Mm. Um, And I'm sure some of the people on on your podcast so far have been able to share, um, shed some light on their journeys around that. But look, I think in terms of just implementing density limits moving forward, around the world's obviously had it a lot harder than, than Australia has with COVID. So if I was to speak about the near future, I'd probably speak about the Tokyo Olympics because that's obviously my go-to with Brookie. So look, I really hope that goes ahead and it seems like it will. But in terms of just spectators and and, and capacity limits at events, I think that's going to change somewhat, which, which is a real shame because um, obviously the crowd and the, the audience at some of those major events like the Olympics and so forth really, really creates a huge atmosphere for the athletes, especially when they put in, you know, three, four years of work in the lead up to these major competitions. So I just hope that the atmosphere doesn't get too, too drawn down from what COVID's created. Yeah, I think equal opportunity is a big one. Just um, the sport's definitely moving in the right way in terms of having plenty of opportunities for both men and women whether that's equal prize money or just equal opportunity. If you look at women's AFL now, it certainly hasn't grown to what the extent of men's AFL has, but there's certainly that opportunity there that didn't used to be there for women. And there's definitely, it's definitely getting plenty of exposure, whether it's just out on Foxtel or mainstream TV, I'm not hundred percent sure, but yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity for women there to be able to be involved in footy, such an Australian sport um, like our men are. And yeah, I think, from a grassroots level, for some of the kids that are going through school, I think sport's definitely heading in the right way. So just getting them involved early, whether it's whether it's in PE class or um, getting them in swimming lessons, teaching basic survival skills, I think there is lots of avenues to use sport for the right reasons moving forward. Um, and I think just with COVID and moving out from COVID, I hope that the community and schools and, and parents do use that 
um, that or sport for the right reasons with their kids because um, I think sport has so many benefits from a young age and I think it's important that kids just jump right in there as soon as they can. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I guess from the grassroots level, I'm seeing the recovery in a learn to swim sense and we are busier than we have been in years, which is really, really great for our industry and parents are seeing how important it is and they're wanting to get their kids back to basketball, back to dancing, back to gymnastics and the many sports that you can do at a young age, they're all going to benefit these children in their later lives. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, Fee, especially if you're seeing um, more demand than you were, you know, pre-COVID. So obviously um, the message is getting through and you're being able to see it, you know, firsthand in the swim school. So um, if that's across the board, then it's definitely heading in the right direction, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And in terms of spectators, like I did see a news article, I don't know if it was this week or last week, about the probability that spectators won't be able to go to Tokyo, especially international spectators. And that would be so hard for not only the athletes, but the families. And then in terms of televising it, would that change the revenue basis or like, it's just really interesting how it would work. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I saw on the ABC, they said spectators won't go. And I know, I think the media jump on things very quickly. Mm. I remember I had an article um, after the Japanese president made an announcement about Tokyo and they said that Tokyo is not likely to go ahead, but I think that may have just been rumours. So I really hope that Tokyo still um, allows close family because someone's got to be there to carry Brooks bags and, and get those <laughs> slow Yes, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> so I've heard rumours of Tokyo and the only allowing Tokyo residents to attend the Olympics. But then again, look, we're in March and, and there's still a few months, but it's obviously going to be a very last minute decision. So just have to keep my fingers crossed and hope that, you know, close family can be over there to support Rookie at the time. Yeah. And like, I know, I'll be watching her on the TV and I'll, and hopefully you'll be there and hopefully I'll have Winnie looking, uh, looking at the TV with me. Yeah, it's look, it's they're really special. The Commonwealth Games was one of the highlights on the Gold Coast in 2018. Um, 2018. There you go. <laughs> Almost, but yeah, um, just because it was a home games and obviously Brookie got to really experience those emotions really raw being the athlete herself. But um, for us, just on the sidelines, the crowd, the atmosphere was huge. Everyone gets behind Aussies um, at a home game. So, yeah, those major championships are really special. So, look, I hope I hope we can be there in Tokyo. We'll have to wait and see. Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed for you, Nath. Otherwise, I'm sure there'll be a very big support crew watching on TV. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We'll have, to, um, we'll, we'll have to gather around, we know, and have a huge – we'll have to chuck up a projector somewhere, I reckon, and – watch it in the park or, or try and make of it if we can't be there. Yeah, that makes a, that sounds like a good plan. I like that. Well, Nath, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. I, I really appreciate it. And you and Brookie are coming around for dinner with Winnie soon. So <laughs> thank you again. Anytime, Fee. I think Winnie's um, pretty keen to see Harry. So as long as she doesn't eat, eat our dinner, it should be a good night. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Thanks again, Nath. That's right. Thanks for having me, Fee. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone that you think would also like it. If you want to find out more, you can find us at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart on both Facebook and Instagram. Until next time.